One of the interesting trends I've noticed, I don't know if all of you are the same way, but I've noticed that a lot of us like to talk to the people in the movies that we're watching. <laughs> have you ever felt like you have the perfect advice? For, see, Rich is nodding because he sees movies with me and he knows how I do this. But um, the thing that I've noticed is the kind of advice you would give to somebody in a movie that you watch is highly dependent on what genre of movie that you're watching. Like the advice you would give in a romantic comedy is very different than the advice you would give in a horror movie. In a horror movie, you're usually going to say things like, don't go in that room, never ever be alone, don't say I'll be right back, you won't. You know, romantic comedy, actually, I think in a romantic comedy, you would only need one piece of advice ever for any romantic comedy, and it would be this. It's all a misunderstanding. <laughs> Just calm down. He's going to come back. It's going to be all right. You don't need to cry. But, but you wouldn't say that to somebody in a horror movie. You know, in a Mission Impossible movie, you'd say something like, he's wearing a mask. Just always assume, always assume somebody's wearing a mask. The, the advice we would give to people in different stories that we're watching differs as our perspective of what kind of story they're in differs. And I don't know if you guys think about it this way, but because, because we believe that God is the author of life, because we believe that our lives are not just random, but God is ordering our lives, there's a certain sense in which we can say we are living in a story that God is telling. That doesn't mean that we're just puppets in God's story, but we're living in a story. We're living in a world where there's order. We're living in a world where there's progress, where there's something happening that God is unfolding. And so I want to start just by posing the question for all of us, what kind of story, and guys, the remote isn't working right now, so if you could advance it, just ask, what kind of story are we living in? The reason this is important is because most of us want to make sense of the story that we're living in. Most of us look at our lives and say, I want to do things in a way that makes sense based on how the world works, based on how reality works. What is it that I believe about the things around me? And what we get in the Bible, one of the reasons why we take the Bible so seriously at this church is because in some sense, what we believe God has given us in the Bible is he's given us a view where he pulls back the curtain and allows us to understand reality. He allows us to understand the story because for characters in those movies, they don't know if they're in a horror movie or in a comedy or, or in a thriller. They're just living out their lives. We don't always understand the nature of the, the events around us. But in the Bible, we get the curtain pulled back and we get a little more insight into reality. And all summer, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon. And in some ways, this whole sermon is about Jesus, King Jesus, pulling back the curtain and letting us understand the world better. And in two verses that we're going to go through today, just two verses, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, in a very intense way, Jesus is going to pull back the curtain and help us understand the story that we're in. And before I read the passage, just to sum up the kind of story that Jesus is going to tell us that we're in, the kind of story that we're in is a story in which we need to choose between two paths of how to handle life. So here's how this is going to unfold. I'll, I'll just let you know kind of how, how I'll handle things as we go through the passage. In a moment, we'll read these verses. Um, I'll put them up on the screen, but if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open the Bible because you'll be able to look at the stuff that comes before and after. We'll read the verses, and then we're going to read about an image that Jesus gives us. 
And so the first thing that we're going to do is we're just going to spend some time trying to make sure we understand the image. Before even really getting into what does this mean and how do we apply it, we're just going to say, Jesus gives us an image, let's try to understand it. And then after that, we'll spend the rest of our time talking about sort of an immediate and a big picture way of understanding the image that Jesus gives us so that we can live in this unfolding story in a way that's in line with the kind of story that it is. So let me put the verses up here for us. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So I mentioned that the unfolding reality that Jesus is going to tell us about, the story that we're living in, is a story of contrast. And you can see throughout these two short verses, there's a whole bunch of things that we get as far as contrast. We have two gates. Those two gates open up to two roads. Those two roads lead to two destinations. And then the roads are inhabited by two different groups. So the choice is unfolding. We've got two different paths. So we've got two gates, two roads, two destinations, two groups. And that's where we'll start, just by talking about the image. We'll just walk through this passage, part by part, talking about the image that Jesus gives us. And by the way, if if you like to use the bulletin to fill in the blanks, there's going to be nothing terribly profound about the blanks that you fill in. You're basically going to be filling in words right in this passage. You know what? When Jesus says something, I don't feel like I need to be overly creative with how I'm going to present it. So we're going to start with the two gates. And what Jesus says is there are two gates, and the two gates are the broad, I'm sorry, the wide and the small. Although you may notice, before he even gets into this, Jesus gives the spoiler right up front. Enter through the narrow gate. He hasn't even told us yet that there are two gates, but right off the bat, he says, all right, here's the right gate. Here's the gate that I'm going to command you to enter through. It's the only command in the entire passage. He just says right off the bat, enter through the narrow gate, and then he's going to explain the reason why he has to command this is because there are multiple gates. And the word gate here in the Greek, it's just the normal word that would have been used in the Greek language. It's all throughout the book of Acts. It's all throughout the gospels, just for people who are entering and exiting the city. This is how you enter into somewhere. He says, enter through the narrow gate. But then again, he tells us, well, there are two gates. There's the wide gate and there's the small gate. And both the words kind of mean just what they sound like they mean. The wide gate is great. Here's what's great about the wide gate. It's easy to find and it's easy to enter into. You don't have to go for a search for the wide gate. And you know what else is great about the wide gate? You can bring all your stuff with you. There's plenty of room. You don't have to squeeze through this thing. So all the luggage, all your possessions, you can bring it in here with you. Heck, you can drive a car through the wide gate. The wide gate is very appealing to us. Again, it's it's easy to find. Jesus doesn't say there's a narrow gate and then there's a whole bunch of other gates. He really just says there's two gates. So if you're not at the narrow gate, guess which gate you're at? You're at the wide gate. It goes all the rest of the way around this. The wide gate is easy to find, easy to enter. You don't need to leave anything behind. You can bring all your friends along with you. But then Jesus says that there's another gate, and this gate is small. Now, just I don't want to spend too much time on this, but some of you might be kind of crinkling your brow by saying, now, now wait a second. Verse 13, he says that the gate is narrow, 
But then in verse 14, he says, the gate is small and the road is narrow. Why the switch? I mean, I, I don't want to get too technical, but this is, we, we use the New International Version. That's, that's the version of the Bible up here, the one in your bulletins. Um, I, I really like the NIV. Here, they just do something a little bit odd. I'm not quite sure why they do what they do, because the word for narrow in verse 13 and the word for small in verse 14 are the same word. And so you might say, well, why does he use narrow then for the road? Well, there's a different Greek word that he uses there that could be translated narrow. And I think maybe the translators just wanted to sort of mix it up, wanted to show diversity and show that these were two different words. It's a strange thing. For those of you that I've lost in this whole thing, here's the bottom line. He uses the same word twice. So the small road is the narrow, I'm sorry, the small gate is the narrow gate. So he says, all right, you got the wide gate that's easy to find. Then you have the narrow gate. And if you look at the end of verse 14, he not only says that the narrow gate is hard to squeeze through, he says it's hard to find. Few find it. You got to go looking for this gate. You don't just walk out to the wall and find the first gates that's there. You got to go searching for the narrow gate. And once you finally find that narrow gate, you don't just go through easily. You got to turn sideways. Like kind of shimmy your way through this. And guess what you don't get to bring with you? All your luggage, all your baggage. It doesn't fit through the narrow gate. In fact, some people have talked about the narrow gate being a turnstile. It's the idea that you're entering one at a time, which isn't to say, kind of skipping ahead, which isn't to say that those of us who are believers, that we don't have communion with one another, but that you don't end up entering through the narrow gate just because your parents did, just because your friends did, just because in your particular ethnicity, most of the people do. The narrow gate must be entered one by one. You got to leave stuff behind. You got to squeeze through. It's hard to find. You can already see the contrast that Jesus is building here. And then where he goes next is to the road. So he says, all right, each of these gates open up to a road. So when we move on to the two roads, now we've got broad and narrow. So he says in verse 14, wide is the gate and broad is the road. And here's just a quick interesting thing about the word road. The way that this word was used in the Greek is actually pretty similar to how we use the word road today which means you can use the word road as just the literal road, the ground that you're driving on or walking on. But there's also a sense in which you would use the word road to describe the journey that you're on. So if you're driving up, we used to take trips um, to Oregon and from Oregon in our car. And so when we were going, when we were making this drive, we would say we're on the, we're on the road. Even if we pulled off for the night and we're staying at a hotel, broadly speaking, we would still say we're on the, we're still on the road. And what we would mean is we're on the journey. So I say that just to say when Jesus talks about the two roads, it's worth us saying, all right, in some sense, he's talking about just the terrain that you're walking on and whether it's broad or whether it's narrow. But I think that he's also talking about the nature of the journey, how easy it is or how difficult it is. And he says, the wide gate opens up to the broad road. And this word just means spacious and roomy. In fact, sometimes the word is translated easy. This is the place. The broad broad road seems like it was made specifically for 21st century people living in the United States. This is our kind of road. I mean, how many of you like your personal space? Now you guys are like, I'm not going to raise my hand. That's the bad road. He's not going to trick me. 
that this is the road for us. This just fits the way that we handle our lifestyle. We like our personal space. By the way, if you go overseas, you realize not everybody likes their personal space the same way that we do. We like our personal space. We like a wide breadth. When I'm, you know, the few times when I'm at a grocery store or somewhere like that, I have to say the few times because Karina's going to be like, when was the last time you were at the grocery store? And she'd be right. But when I am, if I look down an aisle and say I need to get something in that aisle and I see people in that aisle, you know what I do? I'm like, well, let's go around. I can come around to this aisle. Stuff I want is at the back anyway. I can just come around and I don't have to go past anyone. We like an easy path. So he talks about the broad, spacious road. All your friends can be there and you all still have your own space. You can bring your stuff along with you. This is the road that's comfortable. There's a lot that appeals to us about this road. And by contrast, Jesus says, the small gate opens up to the narrow road. And I already alluded to it, but, but the word, this time the word he uses for narrow is different than the word before. And, uh, and what it describes is either literal or figurative pressure. In fact, Mark uses this word in Mark chapter three, verse nine. And some of you will know the story. There's a story um, where, where there's a woman who has an internal uh, bleeding problem and she reaches out and touches Jesus' cloak and she's healed. And one of the things that's sort of comical about this story is she does it in secret. She doesn't tell Jesus she's going to do it. Um, And after she touches him, after she touches the cloak, Jesus says, who touched me? And his disciples sort of razz him about it because they say, the crowds are pressing in on you. Everybody's touching you. The word that Luke uses for the crowds were pressing in on him is the same word used here for narrow. It's the idea that this is crowded, this is pressured, this is constricted. Paul uses the word metaphorically in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, where he talks about the apostles and he says, we are hard-pressed, talking about suffering that the apostles are experiencing at the hands of others. And so figuratively, he's saying, we are under pressure. This refers to the whole idea of being constricted. How many of you are, to some extent, claustrophobic? Buckle up. The road is narrow. This is not a comfortable road. This is not a comfortable journey. And I'll even pause here. There's a little bit of skipping ahead, but just pause and say, right now, Jesus seems like the worst salesman ever. He says, enter through the narrow gate. And by the way, it's going to be hard to find. You're going to have to really look for it. And once you get through the narrow gate, guess what you get? You get a narrow road. It's uncomfortable, it's difficult, it's lonely, it's frustrating. That's the road for you. (laughs) Jesus seems like the worst salesman ever because the way that we do sales, especially today in the West, is to try to convince the person that you're selling something to that they get all of the benefits with none of the cost. I just had this experience. There was a guy that came to our house about a month ago um, talking about solar panels. And Karina and I were actually looking into this. So I said, all right, sure, come back and and lay it all out for me so I can understand it. And I'm getting to the end of the presentation and I'm realizing, all right, here's what he's told me. He's told me I will be paying less each month. Um, Our energy will be better. And at the end of the day, I will own something that will cause me to, to never have a payment again. Now, if you're like me at all, what are you thinking? You're thinking, this is too good to be true. You're thinking, this is not the way God appears to have set up the world. 
the way the world is set up is that there's some kind of cost. So even in the midst of the sales thing, I said, now I know you're doing a great job. I'm like, you're, you're really doing, you're good at this. I want you to tell me the reason why I shouldn't do this. And he's sort of like, well, you should. I'm like, I want you to tell me why not everybody, there's just, I'm suspicious. Maybe it's pessimistic, but I don't think it is. I think this appears to be the reality. But the powerful thing about Jesus, instead of hiding the difficulty, he says, I'm going to tell you up front that the right gate is narrow and the right road is uncomfortable. At the very least, this should cause any of us who are Christians to look at our lives and say, I have no right to feel entitled to a smooth life. There's a, there's a lot of fear, and I, I, in my opinion, some of it justified as we look at where our nation is going to, to say, all right, Christians will be less and less favored, and we may even face some kind of outright persecution, either financial or, or who knows where it'll go. And I think some of that concern is justified. And I even think, you know, making petitions and voting against things that, that would infringe upon religious liberty, I think that's a, a good thing to do because it's good not just for us, it's good for our neighbors. At the same time, anytime we as Christians start to say, how dare they treat us this way? I think it's worthwhile for us to look back at this passage and say, Jesus said it is a narrow gate and an uncomfortable road. We have no right to expect our lives to be easy. There are two gates. Each one opens up to a different road. And then he says there's two destinations. And the destinations are destruction or life. So you open up, you go through that wide gate that's easy to find, that you can bring everything in. You go and you live the comfortable life on the wide, broad road. But you get to the end of it and there's destruction. There's ruin. There's the unhappy surprise that you've been headed for a payment all along. You've had it easy now, and now there's a cost. And on the flip side, he says that the narrow gate opens up to a narrow road that leads to life. And the word he uses for life, there is a Greek word that just refers to biological life, that refers to being alive, and that's not the word he uses here. He uses the word that has much more to do with the eternal spiritual life. Jesus is not just talking about the right here and now. He's talking about the idea that at the end of this narrow road is the kind of life that God intended for us. In fact, in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus speaks of eternal life and he says, this is eternal life that they, that his disciples and that all of us would know the one true God and Jesus Christ who God sent. In other words, for us as Christians, eternal life doesn't start when we die. Eternal life begins when we are adopted into the family of God. Jesus says at the end of that narrow road is life. And then finally, he talks about two groups. He says there's the many and the few. And not surprisingly, when you've got a wide gate and when you've got a broad road, the majority of people find their way on that. Because again, Jesus doesn't say, well, there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate and then there's a whole bunch of neutral gates. There's only two gates. And so if anything other than the narrow gate is the wide gate, it's not surprising that the many are the ones who find it and the few are the ones who find the narrow gate. And, and I would even say, I think that this is a fair assumption, um, few find that narrow gate, seemingly even fewer enter through it, even if they find it. 
This is the picture that Jesus paints for us. This is the image that he gives us. All right, you want to understand reality. You want to understand the kind of story that you're in. The story that you're in is that you are choosing between two different paths. One of them is a really difficult path that leads to life. One of them is a really easy, kind of comfortable path that leads to destruction. That is the story that we're in. So so now let's say, all right, well, we want to understand this because he's not just giving us a picture so that we say, that's nice and move on. There's something we're meant to do here. So now let's ask about application. And what I want to say, all right, let's talk about two applications, the temporal and the eternal. Let's talk about the application of this that's sort of just about viewing life right here and now, and then the application that's taking the big picture into account. And the reason I start with the temporal is we could say, all right, in some sense, if Jesus was just talking about the immediate, if the Sermon on the Mount was just sort of self-help, Jesus giving us good advice for life, I'd say on the whole, this would still be pretty good advice. In some ways, and some of you may like this and some of you may not, Jesus sounds like an old school coach. Sounds like the coach. I don't know if some of you had this as a coach or a PE teacher um, where you would run laps. And when you're running laps, he would tell you not to cut the corners. So he would say, if you cut corners in laps, you cut corners in life. I'm not the only one that had that coach. And it's kind of the old school, hey, life is difficult and it's a grind and you got to work hard. And if you work hard, it pays off. And we might kind of laugh at that. And at the same time, we'd say there appears to be a truth to that. It it appears to be the way that God has set up reality. That seems to be the way it mostly works. You don't have any wildly successful professional athlete who hasn't spent hours and hours and hours in the gym and watching film and, 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 and uh, perfecting his craft, you, you just don't see somebody get to that level without the deep putting in, without the difficult road to get there. You don't see any musician who's a master of their instrument without hours and hours and hours of practice and frustrating information from their teachers and learning new skills. You don't get to a point of greatness. You don't experience the payoff without the work that you put into it. And and we know that this is just kind of a general truth of life where you say, all right, you don't normally advance in your career unless you put in a lot of hours of work. You don't normally end up with a good retirement if you flitter your money away instead of saving it and being wise. You don't end up healthy just by eating chocolate all the time and taking naps. You end up doing that by doing the hard work of denying yourself certain foods that you like and going and exercising. So we could say, all right, well, well, this is just Jesus being kind of the old school dad and the coach and saying, all right, here's what you got to do. If you want life to go well for you, put in the hard work now and it will pay off later. And I would just say, if you have kids, that's not the worst advice you could give to your kids. In fact, a lot of us, this is sort of the advice that we give to our kids. We say, hey, you know, kind of pay now so that you can enjoy things later. There's a delayed gratification reality of life. But but here's the issue. There's a couple of reasons why we know Jesus certainly was not simply talking in those terms. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, there's a parallel statement. Jesus talks about the narrow road in the Gospel of Luke also. In Luke chapter 13 and starting in verse 22, the lead up to when he talks about the narrow road is that his disciples come to him and they say, is it true that only a few are going to be saved? And the next thing that Jesus says is, enter through the narrow gate. The disciples don't come up and say, is it true that only a few people are going to have a successful life? They say, is it true that only a few are going to be saved? Jesus is talking about heaven and hell here. Jesus is talking about eternal life, not just how we live successfully in the right here and now. 
And I'll tell you another reason why we know that that can't be. It can't be just the right here and now that Jesus is talking about. It is proverbially and generally true that sort of like if you put in the hard work now, we'll pay off later. But is it always true? It's certainly not. There's a passage, some of you know, um, I, I love the book of Hebrews. I think it's a really profound book in the New Testament. Um, and the most famous chapter in Hebrews is Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is often called the Hall of Faith, where the author goes through a lot of the heroes in the Old Testament and talks about how they lived by faith. Just as always, by faith, here's what this person did. And really, I think another way of saying by faith, you could say by walking the narrow road. This is what this person did. So by faith, Noah built a boat in the middle of the desert when there was no rain on the horizon. He acted by faith. By faith, Abraham left behind the country that he knew to go to a country that God hadn't even told him where it was yet. God said, I'll tell you when you get there. By faith, Moses, when he was experiencing a comfortable life in Egypt, decided he would rather be identified with the suffering people of God. And so he left behind the comforts of Egypt and went and identified with the people of God. These people acted by faith. And then the author of Hebrews puts in something odd in the middle of this. In chapter 11, verse 13, let me read you what he says. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. In other words, what the author of Hebrews is saying is they made the hard choice up front. And then you know what they did? They died. They didn't get the promise. They were still living in faith. They were still looking forward to the promise when they died. And when he talks about them seeing it from a distance, I just, I can't imagine that he's not referring to Moses here. Some of you know the Moses story. In fact, if you're reading through the Bible reading plan right now, we're reading the Moses story. We're reading Deuteronomy. Here's what happens with Moses. He keeps taking the narrow road. He keeps taking the life by faith. He says, all right, I'm comfortable here in Egypt, but I'm going to leave that behind and go make sure my my true identity is as a Jew, is with the Israelites, even though they're an oppressed people. So he goes goes and does that. And then afterwards, he ends up basically being an anonymous shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years. And then after that, God says, I'm sending you back to Israel where the people aren't really going to have a lot of confidence in you and where you need to boss around the king. And Moses says, all right. So he takes a narrow path that way. Then after he takes a narrow path that way and God delivers the people of Israel from Egypt and they wander in the wilderness, Moses has the privilege of the next 40 years of his life going around with a bunch of whiners who keep saying, you should have left us to die in Egypt instead of taking us out here. But here's the good news. After those 40 years, you know what Moses finally does? Yeah, he dies he doesn't get into the promised land. What God does is he brings him up on a mountain and he shows it to him. This is why I think the author of Hebrews is talking about this. He says, see that out there? That's where I'm going to lead the people. And then Moses dies and God buries him in secret. Moses didn't get what the promise was. That leads us back to saying, all right, if Jesus is saying the narrow road leads to life, we have to have a bigger perspective. We can't simply look at this and say, Jesus is saying hard work pays off. 
Jesus is saying there is going to be eternal benefit. You will not regret the narrow road, even if the right in the right here and now, you don't seem to see a lot of rewards for it. The narrow road is difficult, it's lonely, it's frustrating, it's uncomfortable. But at the end of it, there is a payoff, even if this payoff doesn't come before your final resurrection. And think about that for a second. We have hope. This is the central Christian hope. This is why we could do the same thing, the same kind of self-help right here now thing with the resurrection of Jesus. We could say, all right, there's a story of Jesus rising from the dead. Here's what it means. What it means is that even when we're in the deepest darkness of our life, um, there's something good right around the corner. And you could look at that and say, well, that does seem to actually be true a lot of the time. That, that, that when you're down and out and when you're frustrated and when you don't see hope, that God does something really neat and, and you get to see a payoff of that. that. That does seem to be kind of a, a truth of how God orders the universe. But the resurrection of Jesus is actually not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about saying this really is the king. We can trust him. We can follow him. And because of his resurrection, we one day will share an eternal life. We are welcomed into the family of God because he conquered death through what he did. So when Jesus talks about the narrow road, he's not just giving us good advice for how we live now. He's talking about something eternal. He's saying there is eternal benefit towards choosing the difficult life now. So for all of us, as we think about this, we do have to pause and and at least talk about two of these images for us. And I'll start with the first one. I'll start with the gate. The first thing we've got to ask ourselves is, have I entered through the narrow gate? And probably put really simply, to enter through the narrow gate is to become a believer in Jesus. It's to put your faith in Jesus. It's to say, you know what? In the narrow gate, I can't fit my pride through there. I can't fit my accomplishments through there. And so that means if I'm going to come to Jesus, if I'm going to say, I want what you're offering, I want the forgiveness that you're offering, I want the eternal life that you're offering, that means that I don't come to him as a self-made man. That means I come to him and I say, I'm so lost, I'm so broken, I'm so ashamed of what I've done, I'm so guilty, I'm so helpless that I'm coming to you in utter desperation and saying, please save me. And you know what Jesus does? He saves us. He rescues us. That's how we enter through the narrow gate. He gives us forgiveness because he died to pay the penalty for our sin. He gives us adoption into the family of God because he is God's son and we're with him. Jesus brings us into the family when we enter through the narrow gate. And I would just say, in a room with this many people, there's some of you in here that you haven't entered through the narrow gate and you know you haven't entered through the narrow gate. You're like, all right, I've showed up at church and I'm thinking about these things or I'm wondering what everybody thinks, but I haven't made the decision to give my life to Jesus. I haven't made the decision to follow him. You're here because you want better morality or you want a better upbringing for your kids or you like being around other people or you you find things helpful, whatever it is. The calling for you is to enter through the narrow gate. To say, Jesus is not just giving advice for life. Jesus is talking about eternity. He's talking about heaven and hell. And beyond that, I'd say in a room with this many people, it seems likely that there's some of you that would say, I've entered through the narrow gate, but the reality is that you haven't. The reality, again, is that you've decided to adopt some kind of a religious idea. You've decided to try to live by the morality that the Bible prescribes. 
but you haven't come to Jesus in utter desperation saying, you are my only hope in life and death and bowed the knee to him. What I want to say is we are going to utterly miss what Jesus is talking about if we don't at the very least start there and take seriously what he says in the first words of this passage, enter through the narrow gate. And if you're at a point this morning that you're saying, I need to enter through the narrow gate, I I can't even get into the narrow road and talking about what that looks like, I need to start by entering through the narrow gate. Let me give you at least two things that I invite you to do. And the first thing that I invite you to do is before you leave today, at the very least, mark on one of the connection cards that you've made that decision or stay around long enough to talk to somebody that's up here at the front or one of the staff members who's outside at the back afterwards because you are making the life decision to cling to Jesus. But let's not just talk about the game. Let's talk about the road. Because some of us could say, all right, that's important and we all need to hear this, but I know I have entered through the gate. I've placed my faith in Jesus. I know that I belong to him. I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that I'm promised eternal life. And so the question for all of us is, are we walking the narrow road? I got together with a friend this week and we were talking about the passage and, uh, and he said something that I'm still working it out in my head, but I think it's right. I think it's actually really helpful. And what he said is, when I think of the narrow road, I imagine that the narrow road is on the wide road. Instead of these being two completely separate paths, it's almost like the narrow road is this little bump of sidewalk in the middle of the wide road. And one of the reasons why that, that image really makes sense to me is for a couple reasons. The first is that when you're on the narrow road, you can still see everybody on the wide road. That's why in Psalm 73, Asaph, the worship leader, is looking around and he's saying, God, I'm not sure if I should keep following you because I'm looking around and everybody seems to have it a lot better. You can still see the people on the wide road. And when you're on the narrow road, you know what else you can do? You can hop off. At the very least, you can say, you know, when it comes to this decision, I know what God is calling me to do, but nope, I'm going to handle it this way. Now, here's the great news. You hop off, but you know what else you can do? You can repent and you can say, you know what? That was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I'm coming back. I'm repenting. I'm I'm listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm back on the narrow road. The point is this, just because you entered through the narrow gate does not mean in every way in your life right now, you are walking on the narrow road. And so all of us have to pause and ask ourselves, all right, when it comes to my marriage, when it comes to my battle against sin, when it comes to my finances, when it comes to my integrity, Am I walking on the narrow road? What do I need to repent of? You know, the Holy Spirit is with us because of what Jesus has done. And I I don't have an experience with the Holy Spirit where I tend to feel like all the time he's giving me really, really specific counsel. But I have noticed that I can't think of many times that the Holy Spirit has told me to do something. And what he said is, take the easy path. He typically is saying, Take the hard path. The road is narrow that leads to life. So for some of us, this needs to be a moment for repentance. This needs to be a moment for us to say, all right, Jesus, you warned us. You told us that this was going to be difficult, but we trust you that it's going to pay off. I know in some ways, I said, Jesus is like the worst salesman ever here. You guys might think, well, you're even worse. (laughs) 
Because you're just telling us, all right, do this. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really frustrating. It's going to be lonely. There are going to be times where you feel like there's nobody else walking this road with you. But let me tell you at least three points of comfort that we have on the narrow road. The first piece of comfort is this. When you are on the narrow road, you are on the road that Jesus walks. You're following him. You may feel like you're all alone. You are not all alone. You are walking with your Savior, and you're experiencing communion with him on the narrow road. And the second thing is, you know who else you're experiencing fellowship with on the narrow road? Brothers and sisters in Christ. There's this passage in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah starts to feel like he's the only one following Jesus, and God humbles him by opening up his eyes to the fact that there are thousands of others that are on that narrow road with him. You might feel like you're on the narrow road alone, but you're not. You're on that narrow road with believers here in Upland, and you're on that narrow road with believers all over the world, and you're walking the same narrow road that believers have through the centuries. And the third piece of comfort that we get on the narrow road is that when we walk the narrow road, we walk with hope. We walk with confidence. The broad road has the very unpleasant surprise at the end of it, that it leads to ruin. But we walk the narrow road in hope. We walk the narrow road saying, all right, I don't see it in all the ways. I I don't understand how this all is going to work out. This seems like the more difficult path, but I trust the God who raised Jesus from the dead that he will make every sacrifice for walking the narrow road worth it in the end. Here's what I want to do right now. I want to take just about a minute where we're all going to be quiet. If I go, go ahead and bow your heads right now. Um, I've given you, hopefully, through this passage, a lot to think about. But I want to just give a moment for those of you that are saying it's time to enter the gate, and for those of you that are saying, in this area of my life, it's time to return to the road. I want to just give us a moment before God, and then after we're done with this, I'm going to read a benediction over us. So let's take that quiet moment now. Father, we just confess we are easily distracted and we are easily enamored with the broad road. It appeals to us because we like to be comfortable. We like to think that we're all right. We don't usually like the the humbling and the difficulty that comes along with following Jesus. So, Father, please renew our minds. Help us to see that Jesus doesn't lead anyone into destruction. Help us to see the long term. Help us to be willing to continue to do good because we know that we'll reap a harvest in the end. Help us to be signs to the people around us of eternal life and not just the here and now. 